The following sermon was delivered by Elder Steve Jackson on Sunday, December 20th, 2020, Fort Smith Primitive Baptist Church, 2201 South Houston Street, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Thank you, Brother Firm. We, we open to uh, Luke, chapter 1. Listen to the introduction that Luke gives. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Very first thing out of his mouth is speaking of the miracle of the birth of Christ, the Messiah. But there was a miracle, and there have been miracles uh, that have been in existence uh, throughout all of the ages. God manifests himself, and there are definitely miracles that have been witnessed by mankind throughout all generations, God revealing himself. And here, Luke, the physician, is setting the record that these things are most surely believed among us. In other words, there was no wavering in the truth concerning the advent of the Messiah, the advent of the Christ, the Lord Jesus, surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, so he's speaking from a standpoint of being an eyewitness to the things. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. I'd say that Luke, was a man of faith. Luke writing through the inspiration of God. The reason that we have the account of the virgin birth is because of the inspiration of God. We have it in detail. And not only do we have it in words, but we also have it in our hearts. It's a part of the body of the teaching that the Lord has given to his people when we were born again. It lives inside of us. We're going we're gonna to take a look here for just a moment at a man named Zechariah. In verse 5, Luke introduces the account of the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah was John the Baptist's father. He's his natural father. His mother's name was Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest attending to the altar of incense at the temple. Elizabeth was well past the age of childbearing. They were in their old age. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to the case of Abram and Sarai, 
and that was they were both beyond the years of bearing children. And the birth of Isaac was a miracle. It was an absolute divine intervention and miracle of God that Sarai, was the way the name was pronounced back then, later Sarah, Abram, later Abraham, they were both beyond the year years of childbearing. Their ability to reproduce was dead. Sarah's womb was dead. But God, in his power, performed a miracle and Isaac was born. Now, does that sound familiar? It sounds familiar in that when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, we were born from above. The same power, the same miracle that occurred there is occurring again with Zechariah and Elizabeth. You can see the, the miracles of God throughout the course of history. And here we have this, this family, not a young family, right? It was soon to be a young family. And the exchange between Gabriel the angel and Zechariah. Consider it for just a moment. Paul said in the Hebrew letter, careful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. How many angels have you encountered and how many angels have I encountered and we have no idea? Angels of God. Was it E.T., close encounters of the third time, or third kind, or whatever it was? I mean, the, the language used with that? But we've had encounters with angels, whether we wish to admit it or not. And most definitely, if you've ever heard preaching of the gospel, you've encountered the presence of God's angels. Because when the gospel is preached with the Holy Ghost, Sent down from heaven, angels desire to look into it, into those things spoken. If you've experienced gospel preaching, you've experienced the presence of God's angels. There are experiences that we've had and encounters with God's angels in deliverances, that we cannot explain. Have there been occasions in your life when it, it should have been inevitably the end or a catastrophic end and you were delivered and you have no idea how that occurred? I think we've all had episodes like that in life to one degree or another, some greater than others. But we've all had engagements with angels. That's why he says careful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. 
Could it be that some of the people that we've shunned because of a bad day, a bad morning, or didn't have our coffee in time, or whatever the case might be, that somebody that we snubbed could have been an angel of the Lord? Somebody that we angled out of a parking space at Walmart? I don't think that angels are driving cars. I mean, I don't think that uh, I'm battling against angels for a parking place at Walmart. But you just never know when and where they're going to appear. And here we have Gabriel. You know, the name Gabriel itself, in terms of the legions of angels, Gabriel appears. And it's not the first appearance of Gabriel. We hear of an appearance of an angel called Michael, Gabriel. what it must have been like to be in the presence and to know it. So verse 5, he says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Did you hear that? Elizabeth was attached Aaron, Moses' brother, the first high priest, right, appointed to oversee the things at the temple. Aaron, the high priest, was the one to go into the holiest of holies, but not without blood, to make atonement for the people of Israel. Aaron is the one with whom they would dress in priestly garments, in the priestly robe, with the ephods, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the girdle. And we read and sing of a song where the, the oil was dripping down his beard. What a sight that must have been. You could, you could just let your mind's eye kind of formulate what it must have been like to see Aaron. The gravity that must have been acquainted with him, the somberness, if you will, of entering into the holiest of holies, not knowing whether you would come out with your life. Because God took it that seriously. His sons went into the holiest of holies, if you recall, they didn't come out. They went in unauthorized and they broke the covenant of God by going into the holiest of holies. They didn't come out. But Israel would rejoice when the high priest would come out from the holiest of holies with his life. There's some controversy concerning the gown that Aaron wore that had pomegranates sewn about the hem and bells. Because, see, he was to lay down his priestly garments before he went into the holiest of holies. And when he would go into the holiest of holies, he would be, he would be dressed in white linen. 
But then when he accomplished the sprinkling of blood there on the, uh, on the uh, ark, the mercy seat, right? and before it for himself first, and for the people of Israel. And when he completed the work, he would put that robe back on. And when he put that robe back on, there were bells on the hem, so one would have to connect the dots and say that it must have made some kind of pleasant noise, at least for Aaron. We don't know whether those people outside of the tabernacle heard that or not. But we know that it was a sound of joy for Aaron to hear the bells on the garment knowing that God accepted the blood sacrifice another year and the people were, of Israel were put into remembrance. All of this pointing towards a time and a place. All of it showing forth that one day the embodiment of the tabernacle, the embodiment of the Ark of the Covenant, the contents of the Ark of the Covenant, and the cherubims rising above the Ark of the Covenant. Angels with wings gathered together, facing one another. So whenever God is present, what does that tell us? Angels are present. But Elizabeth was of the family of Aaron. And she married Zechariah. And Zechariah had a role as a priest as well. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Would that not be a nice reputation to have? Would, would it not be nice to have a reputation that's recorded in God's inspired word about us that said we were righteous? I'm afraid that I have failed miserably at the task. But apparently they were living in such a way to please the Lord. So it tells us that it is possible for us to conduct ourselves in such a way that God is pleased. We should, we should not ever discount the fact that God can be pleased with us and with our efforts and our labors in this life. And God smiles and blesses. And he always has and he always will. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they both were well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. When I, when I read this, it, it had an impact on me. And so, in the days of old, in the temple worship, if you will, when people were worshiping according to the law, right? There was a, there was a censer where they burnt incense. Now, I've known that. You've known that. You've read it in the Old Testament. The account of when they would burn incense. And then we've also fast forward over into the revelation of Jesus Christ. John on the Isle of Patmos, right? <laughs> Being caught up in the Spirit on the day of the Lord. And having revealed to him that the incense and the smoke that went upward into the heavens is a portrayal of the prayers of God's people entering into the throne room of God. So, Zechariah was attending to the incense and the burning of the incense. And whenever he took the incense to its appropriate place in the temple before God, the people of Israel were praying. So as if the prayers of Israel, those that were praying at the time that this was occurring, and we understand it may not have been the entire nation. It may have been just pockets of them, similar to the way it is today. But as they prayed, and the smoke went upward, there's a blending. In Romans chapter 8, it speaks about our prayers. And we don't burn incense to carry our prayers up into heaven. It's not necessary. But this was, you know, the Old Testament form of worship was full of types and shadows. And the New Testament is full of antitypes, which is the fulfillment or that which points back to the type disclosed in the Old Testament. Well, you see, our prayers are not carried up into heaven by the smoke of incense, which, by the way, in the revelations of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says it was a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. The prayers of God's people are a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. When you pray, when I pray, our prayers are carried up into heaven by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. So we have this incense and the smoke of the incense, right? co-mingling with the prayers of Israel, and now we have the understanding that it is the Spirit of God, which is the conduit between heaven and earth, between the throne room of God where He dwells, and this place where we dwell, the channel and the conduit of prayer is the Holy Spirit. And there is a, our advocate in 
heaven. Our great high priest in heaven. The Lord Jesus himself in his resurrected body and person, the embodiment of his glory, right? And he is there as our advocate. You know what an advocate is, don't you? It's the same as a lawyer. You know, he is there advocating for his people. He is our counselor. What's a counselor? It's the same as a lawyer. But he is there also as a mediator. Okay. The high priest is a mediator. The high priest stands between God and man. The priest, high priest, stood between, at least perceptually, okay, meaning between the ears of the people of Israel, an unreconciled people with their God. And the high priest stood between them making offerings on their behalf. A portrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ when he offered himself on the tree of the cross for you and me. It's such, it's such, such a beautiful landscape when you, when you look at it, when you compare the two and you see how they just pop out of the Old Testament. And then how it just causes an awe factor when revealed to us in the New Testament. We should just be at complete and total awe when we consider it. Just as Luke declared the things that are most certainly believed among us. You know, it's not original with us. These things have been believed by God's people for generations and generations and generations. Aren't you thankful we can believe with them? We're in good company. We're in absolute good company with all of those that have gone on before us. Read Hebrews chapter 11 and look at the company of the first century church. We're in good company. We're surrounded, according to the Apostle Paul, by a great cloud of witnesses. Those that have believed throughout the ages. They are our brothers and sisters. Do you know how special it is to have brothers and sisters in the same faith and order? I know that I've taken it for granted. I know that I've not, I have not cherished it like I should, mainly because of selfishness on my part, being selfish. And then also just because of the, the noise factor of the world in my brain that keeps me from fully appreciating God's elect that believe, that are of the same faith, like precious faith. How blessed we are 
Amazingly blessed. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And guess what? We are part of that cloud. And that is, we're em embraced in the cloud of witnesses as a believer in Christ. And the impact that we have on the lives of people around us, right? Is a blessing, just like the cloud of witnesses is a blessing to us. It's reciprocal. But isn't it interesting when you look that as the priest Zechariah, you know, minding the temple and the service of God, carrying the smoke and the incense into its place in the temple and the people of Israel all praying simultaneously. What kind of power had to be embraced in that? What kind of power is there, my brethren? Whenever we finish the song service, as Brother Bernie prayed so beautifully, and acknowledging the blessing of the song service this morning in his prayer. That when we collect ourselves in a public setting and begin to pray like we did this morning together while we do things in decency and order and we're not all praying out loud at the same time, but we're all bowing our head in reverential fear and thanksgiving and worship to God and praying to him simultaneously as if Zechariah is carrying the incense into the temple. What kind of power is associated with that? Uh, it's, it's an unmeasurable power. I don't believe that we are capable of knowing the depths and the lengths and the breadths and the heights of the love of God nor of the power, right? And the impact of prayer when we meet together and pray. We know God hears our prayer. And we know that it is interpreted perfectly by our great high priest who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. They're making intercession for us. The one that entered in one time. You see, Aaron entered in multiple times. But Christ entered in one time. That's all that was necessary. And he fulfilled it all. That one time that he entered in. Otherwise he would have continued to have to enter in. Over and over again. But the reason he didn't is because he finished. And one of the signs that he finished. And the language so beautifully recorded in the word of God. Is that he sat down. At the right hand of the majesty on high. He finished the work that the father gave him to do. He sat down. And he's there on the right hand making intercession for us, our great high priest. He has been touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to witness the ravages of disease and sickness and sin. You know, I think we can all agree on that and all be safe. You know, there's a lot of things about the current circumstances that even the Lord's people have differences on. I mean, 
We're all individuals, but we all should cut each other some slack. And as Brother Bernie says, grace, grace. I love that. Grace, grace. You know? But one thing's for sure. We know the origin of disease and sickness, and it didn't come from heaven. And guess what? It didn't come from China either. It came from the pit and root of hell. That's where it came from. All disease which leads to death has its origin in the garden, the fall, whenever that great fall occurred. Yeah, I believe we could agree on that. We could all say we have Bible for that. <clears throat> and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. I just love that. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Now here is Zechariah seeing with his own eyes an angel of God in the temple on the right hand of the altar of incense. And you could see how fear fell upon this man. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children, did you hear that? And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. I would like to be an instrument of God, an influencer to turn many in Israel to the Lord their God. I think we all would have that desire. There's nothing we would like more than the Lord's people to be able to understand grace and grace alone. That's what I'm speaking about. I would love to be able to say, to pull out, you know, just to pull out a waving device and people to be able to understand grace and say, I've known that all along. Thank God for revealing that to me. Now I understand what it, it's been there all along, but now I understand. But it still requires God to reveal it. I can't do that. I don't have the power, nor do you. We don't have the power. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to build a facility big enough to hold all of the people. If we could, every elect child of God in the city of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and surrounding areas would be collected together and worshiped if we had that power, but we don't. But I know one that does. His name is Jehovah, God. Yeah, he's got that power. And he can reveal himself to whom he will, and he does reveal himself 
to whom he will. And one day after a while, when he appears in the air, in the four corners of the earth, like lightning, he's going to reveal himself. And I believe every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess when he comes again. There's nobody going to overlook him. Nobody going to be too busy to give it thought or too tired to put the energy in. No, because he's going to appear in the air. And there's nobody going to be able to miss that. Uh-uh. He's coming again. That's not a day for us to fear. Now, reverentially, in a reverential fear, yes. But in a fear as in being scared, afraid, uh-uh. That's something that inside of us, just as John the Revelator, if you want to call him that, that may be inappropriate to call him the Revelator. He was the one that received the Revelation. The tail end of the canon of Scripture, scripture the, G, the Lord Jesus says, I come quickly. And he says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I believe that resides in the hearts of every one of God's elect. It's been born again. I believe that that anticipation and that desire resides there. We may not be able, you know, it may be completely buried. It may be completely snuffed to the point where it's unrecognizable just because of all of the cares and troubles of this world. Yeah, just like a lot of the other things that God has put inside of us has been, has been kind of brushed aside or whatever. The, you know, our life is just consumed and we just continue to fill up with, with, this, with the stuff that's meaningless and that, and that separates us from the joy of our salvation. It just happens. But deep down inside every one of us, there is a longing, a looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That lives inside of you. It lives inside of me. And what my quest has been over the last several weeks is to try to encourage the Lord's people to pause long enough to consider what God has put in our heart including that longing, looking for. Last week it was the groanings. I believe it was last week or the week before to consider the groanings which cannot be uttered. Listen to your own groanings. God hears them perfectly. Every now and then we might be able to catch a glimpse of that groaning which cannot be uttered. We're never going to fully understand it, but God hears every syllable in detail of those groanings in heaven's pure world. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he says, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Just like the old prophet Elijah. You remember Elijah? Elijah was the one that was carried away 
in chariots of fire. You remember Enoch? He walked with God and was not. Elijah was translated, if you will, not suffering death. And one minute he was standing there in front of Elisha. And the next minute he's carried away in the chariots of fire and taken to glory, not suffering death. And this very same Elijah is the one that appeared with the Lord Jesus Christ and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration in bodily form. And keep in mind, he was there in, with his ultimate glory. The Lord Jesus was there with his ultimate glory. Moses was there with his glory of soul and spirit. John the Baptist is being compared, being made a contemporary of Elijah, a prophet. That's pretty profound and pretty huge that God sent another Elijah to the people of Israel to turn them and make ready the paths of the Lord. And the angel told Zechariah, you're going to call his name John. And you know what his name was later understood to be and the reason why it wasn't because of what people said about him it was because of what he did indeed and in truth and that was he baptized in the river jordan he baptized the lord jesus christ he immersed him in water when the lord jesus came to him john replying i i'm not worthy of unlatching his shoe laces or latchets. He says, there's one that comes after either me that is greater than I. And when he approaches, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Lord Jesus Christ beckoning John to baptize him. John hesitating. Jesus saying, suffer it to be so now for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. John didn't feel worthy to baptize his Lord and his Savior. But we understand that baptism doesn't wash away one sin. Never has, never will. There's an example. Jesus didn't have a sin. He was baptized. It was a fulfillment of all righteousness. Baptism has never washed away the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It's a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. When you go into the watery grave and you come forth out of the watery grave, you are portraying and making a public profession of your belief and love for your Savior. You are saying with your actions, even though you are being lifted up out of that water, just like we will be lifted up out of the grave, my brethren, these bodies will be lifted up by the power of Almighty God, by the Spirit of God, by the Son of God, by the Father, all instrumental in raising us up from the dead. Just as we portray in our baptism that we're raised up by the power of another into newness of life. What a wonderful, wonder, wonderful picture that is. And John was later known as the Baptist. 
John the Baptist. You know, Baptists get a bad rap. I mean, they really do get a bad rap. I mean, and there's so many different factions and splits and divisions and everything else among people who take the name Baptist. In fact, there are different divisions and belief sets and some progressive, some regressive, legalistic, others progressive, anything goes, calling themselves primitive Baptists. But aren't you thankful that God does not rely upon a name of an organization and it does not inhibit him from saving his people from their sins? He's John the Baptist. I think it's safe for us to be called Baptists. Totally safe. Listen to what he says next. Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. If you recall, Gabriel appeared to Daniel back in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. Boy, Gabriel's been around a while, hadn't he? So this angel appeared to Daniel hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And now he's appearing to Zechariah with a message. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. I need to bring this to us. To I need to stop. Because I mean, we, this is such a, a magnificent exchange. And I would encourage you to go and read. Read the things that Zachariah says. And ultimately, that's, that's what my intent this morning was. Was to, was to get his account, his words that he spoke after receiving his speech back when John was born. It's a miraculous uh, dialogue that he gives. And then, not only so, but look at Elizabeth's dialogue and the things that she says concerning the child that was not only in her womb, but the child that was in the womb of Mary. And then look at the dialogue of Mary. Of Mary. You could do this in three chapters. And look at what she says and the account that Mary gives concerning the advent of the Messiah that she carried in her womb. I have no idea that is completely and totally foreign to me, but I know there seems to be an innate desire for women, sisters, to have children. Something about, there's something, a yearning to have children. In the case of most, Many. I don't know. I not one. But that's what I understand. I hear I hear people and they work hard. I mean some of them spend a fortune to have to, to conceive and have 
children when they have difficulty conceiving. To bear a child into this world. To have bones grow in their womb. There has to be a God. It has to be a result of creation. There's no way that a polywog or a salamander could have produced this. In fact, go and look at the account of creation and you'll notice what God created in the ocean and in the seas. And it wasn't man. But for those who have brought children into this world, consider what it must have been like. Number one, for Elizabeth, whom the babe was filled with the Holy Ghost in her womb and leapt for joy. John the Baptist, leaping for joy, being filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb at the appearance of Mary, who had just recently conceived of the Holy Ghost and was carrying in her womb our Lord, our Savior, her Lord, her Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. What it must have been like. And we hear it repeated at rosaries, if you've been to a rosary where they read the repetitious rosary rites for somebody that has recently passed. And they refer to her as the mother of God. Over and over and over again. And they're praying to Mary, the mother of God. I don't read of a place in the scriptures where we're ever authorized to pray to Mary. If it's there, I need somebody to show it to me. But nevertheless, what it must have been like to be the mother of God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. And what it must have been like to be the mother of the Messiah. Wow. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, he says, and not speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. All of this was happening in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for they beckoned unto him, and he remained speechless. And you remember the first words he spoke after this encounter. His name is John. They wanted to call him Zechariah. His name is John. In fact, I didn't, believe it or not, that part is erased from my mind, but did he write it down? His name is John. I appreciate your very kind attention. I would encourage you to go read these 
these things. And also, this time of year, it doesn't hurt to go, you know, is, is the way that seasons go and, and uh, you know, the, this Christmas. For us to go and read about the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it'll do our hearts some good. We appreciate and we love you. And we appreciate your prayers. And next time we have that public prayer, you could just kind of visualize being carried up into heaven's pure world, into the throne room of God. And be careful to entertain strangers. Some have entertained angels unawares.